Good morning, Elevation. Here we are again, continuing to be the church in the midst of these unusual days. Two years ago, our Elevation community was knee-deep in a conversation about the intersection of same-sex attraction and Christian faith. Those of you who were around during those days remember it well. Those of you who have joined us since, or maybe are just visiting us online over these last few weeks, if you'd like to know more about that journey, you can go to our website, to the screen that I'm showing you now, the section on unity and diversity. There's some documents that you can read through and some resources available to you. There's also a link to a blog that I've been writing over the last couple months, which is essentially sharing the writing that I did during the course of 2018. Now, we're gonna save the spicy sex talk for next Sunday, but it was during this season of ours as a church that the idea of articulating a Christian vision for healthy relationships and sexuality was born. A bit of context before we dive in. As we started this conversation back in 2018, people began to raise concerns about how shifting our posture on same-sex relationships would end up undermining anything else that we had to say about sexuality. In other words, if you ignore what the Bible says about that, you'll end up ignoring what the Bible says about everything to do with marriage and sexuality. Spoiler alert, we didn't ignore what the Bible says about anything. But comments like these made me realize how important it was, regardless of where we would land on this one issue, to articulate our values and to cast some vision. And so over the course of last year, I worked together with our steering committee to craft the document that is now available on our website in that same section for you to take a look at, at which I'll be talking through this morning and next week. And just let me give you a heads up, next week's sermon will be rated PG, so don't say I didn't warn you. A number of convictions guide our community as we form healthy relationships in God-honoring ways, then what better place for us to start than at the very beginning. This morning's reading began, this is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created. Now at risk of nitpicking, this is actually the second account of creation in the Bible. Last week, our family was sitting around the dinner table and we got talking about Owen's birth story. And Melissa was talking about some of the things that stood out the most to her, like getting an epidural, like all of the labor. Uh, and then I chime in and I said, oh, and then there was the part where just before you went in for that emergency C-section, the nurse swept me away into a room where I stood alone without any communication from anyone for the next half hour, wondering if my wife and child were alive or not. So we both contribute different parts to the story and they come together to give us a broader picture of what actually happened on that night. Genesis 2 and Genesis 1 are different accounts of creation. Genesis 1 begins with the well-known words, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. What follows are the account of these six days of creation, but it isn't until the sixth day that we get around to the creation of man. Version 2 is much less concerned with the creation of the cosmos, but focuses in quite intently on the creation of a particular creature called man. Genesis 2, 7 and 15. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. So we have a horticultural assignment that seems to affirm the value of work and creation care. But it's what comes next that brings us to the heart of this second creation account. In the words of the Norwegian author Karl-Uwe Knausgaard, the beauty of this world means nothing if you stand alone in it. And so you can imagine Adam in this story having this paradise, this unspoiled creation, all at his beck and call, and yet he's alone. 
God notices this. And in verse 18, the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I wonder if there has ever been a time in human history when these words have rung as true with as many people as they do now. I mean, we've all been in situations where we've longed for human connection. I think about the classic example of walking into a room full of strangers. Maybe you're attending a conference and you walk into the room and you don't know a single person there and you feel so alone. Maybe you're walking into an AA meeting. It's your first time. You wonder if everyone's eyes will be on you. Maybe it's walking into a classroom, a new class when you don't know any of your classmates. This kind of longing can even happen in the midst of a group of friends. It can even happen in a family where you feel alone and isolated. A novel that I'm reading right now, there's this line the author makes an observation about phones and how they're not just a tool for communication, but in fact, a phone is a thread of hope, he writes, a way of believing that you're not alone. But never before has the human race experienced this kind of isolation en masse. We're all feeling it, and we're all feeling it together. Just this week, Melissa paid a visit to a friend of hers, and she pulled into the driveway, and she talked about how when her friend walked out on the porch, and she's standing there at a safe distance in her driveway, and they just both burst into tears. The joy of kind of seeing each other, and also the sadness that they couldn't just embrace and give each other a hug. Their shared tears were a physical expression of the collective lesson we're all learning in these unusual days. It is not good for us to be alone. This acknowledgement in Genesis 2 speaks to a fundamental human need for relationship. As Wendy Vanderwall Gritter writes, we are created to be in relationship, to experience the depth and beauty of community. Back to Genesis 2, verse 19 and 20. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. Earlier this week, we were talking to friends of ours. We were on a video call with them and they were telling us about how their kids have been bugging them to get some pet ducks. And so this week they gave in, they got themselves some ducklings. So shout out to the Summers if you guys are joining us this morning. Uh, they've got themselves some ducks and they're gonna raise them. And when they're big enough, they're gonna send them off to their uncle's farm. Uh, so I guess when you're hanging around people a lot, you have a longing to hang out with animals. Uh, but in Adam's case, he was just hanging around animals. He had a longing to hang out with someone a little closer to himself. So the narrative continues, the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man and he brought her to the man. Adam expressed this need for companionship, maybe just in uh, the way that his demeanor was in that time, God notices and God responds to that need. He provides a solution. We can experience this kind of true community in a variety of places, including families, friendships, and in committed relationships like Christian marriage. In the New Testament, when you think about it, the most frequent analogy for the church is that of a family. It might not be the first thing that comes to your mind, but think about all the language of my brothers and sisters, all that language of family. That's how the, the early church saw themselves. That's how we should see ourselves as a church community. A local church itself should be a community where we bear witness to one another's fundamental need for relationship. I think about how Elevation's key values articulate our commitment to living this out. One of our values is life together. We're not going to 
whitewash our shortcomings. We're not going to pretend we've got it all figured out. We're going to actually just do life with one another. We're going to be real and honest with one another. Another of our values is shared responsibility. It acknowledges the fact that we need each other to grow in our faith. So we'll lean on each other. And when we have an abundance, we'll share with the community. And when we have a need, we'll receive from the community. We do this as well in our neighbors groups as we've been gathering together after our Sunday morning uh, services online. We've been gathering together as our neighbors groups. Uh, we pray for one another. Uh, we support each other with practical and other practical ways by meeting each other's needs. And we do this with a variety of people. I've been doing some reading over the last uh, couple of weeks about how this pandemic is affecting different ages, different demographics, if you will. I've been reading about how it's affecting students, uh, university college students, uh, high school students, um, and children. I was reading an article about how parents should think about how their children are processing this, their young children. And the author used this great phrase. She talked about growing with one another, uh, that even if we're at different stages of life, uh, that we need to learn to grow with one another. And she defined the opportunity this way. It's a mutual journey of intentional growth for both parents and our children that trust God to tran transform us all. And so we can't just focus on our own needs and we actually can't just focus on the needs of our kids, but we need to find a way to understand that we're all experiencing this together. And so it becomes a mutual journey of intentional growth. This is at least part of what it means to say that God has gifted us with helpers. Those helpers can be children, parents, friends, spouses, coworkers, neighbors, sometimes even strangers. Maybe you've seen the video this week uh, by Canadian comedian Julie Nolke. The title is Explaining the Pandemic to My Past Self. And it's basically an April 2020 version of Julie Goes to Visit, the January 2020 version. And, and she's not allowed to give all of the details of what's happened, but she drops some hints. She says things to her past self like, you might want to make a Costco run. Or you might want to consider putting a little money in Zoom. At one time, the January 2020, Julie says something about, I really think that the Australian wildfires are going to be the, the top news story of 2020. And the other Julie is like, the what? Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. She says, your definition of a pretty big deal is going to change. And so is the importance that we put on the relationships of our lives. If you thought relationships were important in 2020, well, you're going to think they're a lot more important now, aren't you? As we commit to forming healthy relationships, we become suitable helpers for one another. And wherever and whenever the bonds of family, friendships or marriage falter or fail, as a community, we can respond by being present and available for one another. Many years ago, my summers were filled with weddings. There was one particular year I actually officiated 10 weddings. And in those ceremonies, this imagery from Genesis chapter 2 was in regular use. I started with a broader application of Eve's creation this morning because I think we miss something significant when we act like the story is just about husbands and wives. Before I talk about the beautiful, profound, holy invitation to married life, I have to acknowledge that this same invitation has been wildly and disproportionately promoted as the crown jewel of all human relationships, as if this was the whole purpose and plan of creation. It's hard to reconcile that when you think about someone like Paul, one of the most uh, prolific writers in the New Testament, who wrote to the Corinthian church, now to the unmarried and the widows, I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried, as I do. And, newsflash, Jesus wasn't married either. 
In fact, think about how you react when you maybe read a, a book or you hear about a book or a movie or even an article in a magazine that, that suggests like Jesus had a relationship with Mary Magdalene or something like that. Like it just seems so sacrilegious, so wrong. Like, no, Jesus was single. And yet there's something in the church that has raised and elevated marriage as uh, way outside of where it should be. Genesis 2, it's a story that speaks broadly to our common need for relationship as people created in the image of a relational God, Father, Son, and Spirit. It also speaks to the unique flesh and soul-binding relationship we affectionately refer to as marriage. In the two verses that follow this morning's reading, the man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Christian marriage involves a uniquely intimate relationship between two adults who freely choose to enter a sacred covenant before God and the community of faith. I think about couples whose wedding plans have been canceled or postponed along with everything else uh, during this season. Graham was telling me about a friend of his who were supposed to be getting married and they're going to have to just have a little ceremony themselves before God because they can't even register it legally right now. But they'll make a plan to, to maybe celebrate a, a real like wedding ceremony and reception and everything on the other side of this, maybe on their first anniversary. And that's in a sense, it's, I mean, it's sad, it's too bad, but it's also okay because after all, it's not the church building or the white tablecloths or the first dance that lie at the heart of a Christian marriage. It's the sacred covenant, a promise spoken before God, family, and friends, a declaration of intended lifelong faithfulness to both God and spouse, and an invitation for God to take his rightful place in the center of the soon-to-be-shared life of the married couple. A marriage is not to be entered into lightly because it's intended to be permanent. But what is permanent these days? When I asked myself that question this week, the first thing that came to my mind was The Simpsons. I don't know why, but really, uh, The Simpsons have been around for a lot longer than most things. 31 seasons now, 31 years they've been around. But here's the interesting thing about The Simpsons. They never change. They never age. Have you noticed that these characters over the course of 31 years look exactly the same as they did at the beginning? I mean, if that's what marriage is supposed to be, like you enter into this relationship and you just stay the same for the next 31 years, I imagine it would be fairly easy. But when people grow and change for better or for worse, Permanence can be a challenge. Um, when I was thinking about this, my mind went back to one of those weddings that I officiated in those busy years, uh, Eli and Carolyn Gingrich. Uh, their wedding day was a real fun day. But prior to that, when I had done marriage prep with them, Eli made one request. He said, when our, during our wedding ceremony, the one thing I don't want you to do is talk about how challenging marriage is going to be. He said, I don't like going to weddings and the, and the pastor's up there talking about it. it's going to be so hard. It's going to be a challenge. Uh, so I was like, okay, Eli. So I uh, introduced my little homily in their wedding ceremony by saying the title of my message is get ready because this marriage thing is not going to be easy because it's tough stuff and we have to acknowledge it for what it is. Uh, marriage is not about entering a relationship that is just going to be easy. Alain de Botton writes about love and, and marriage specifically, that love means admiration for qualities in the lover that promise to correct our weaknesses and imbalances. Love is a search for completion. Now Jesus once declared what God has joined together, let no one separate. These are words I've spoken some 70 odd times as I say the words that bind a couple together in marriage right before the big kiss. 
but not every marriage I've spoken these words over has lasted. And let me tell you, that's heartbreaking. Unfortunately, as Jesus went on to explain, divorce entered the equation because people's hearts were hard. He said it was not this way from the beginning. These are not words of judgment spoken to those whose marriages have ended, but words of truth spoken over all of us who find it next to impossible to be faithful in anything. Back in 2007, when I was on my first sabbatical leave, our family spent three weeks on Prince Edward Island. And on the last day of our time there, I went for a little solo canoe ride for a little bit, just to spend some time on my own, praying, thanking God for this time. And when I pulled the canoe back in shore, I reached down and I grabbed a rock and I said, I'm gonna take this rock and set it on my desk. And I wanna remember how perfect this time has been. So I brought it back to the cottage with me and I set it on the dresser. And, and when we were packing things up, somehow it got knocked off the dresser. And when the rock fell and hit the floor, it cracked in half. Rocks aren't supposed to crack in half. I was so annoyed and confused and I, I couldn't go back. We didn't have enough time for me to go back down to the water and get another one. But as I was kind of, all these thoughts were racing through my mind, I had this idea that actually maybe it's better to take a broken rock back with me because perfect is never perfect for very long. And so that rock continues to sit on my desk, broken in two pieces. Again, from Alain de Baton, pronouncing a lover perfect can only be a sign that we have failed to understand them. We can claim to have begun to know someone only when they have substantially disappointed us. Disappointment is a part of any relationship, including marriage. In a marriage, faithfulness to a spouse is paramount, with scripture pointing to sexual infidelity as a clear breach of the marriage covenant, though not the only one. Even so, marital unfaithfulness shouldn't automatically lead to divorce, but presents us with an opportunity, a uniquely challenging one, for grace, forgiveness, and restoration. God casts a lofty vision for a covenant relationship in marriage that will reflect the covenant relationship between God and his people, an everlasting covenant. Listen to God's words in Jeremiah 32 verse 40. I will make an everlasting covenant with them. I will never stop doing good to them. That is how God relates to us and that is how he calls us to relate to those that we are joined to in marriage. Now, our first priority is reconciliation whenever possible. But when all attempts have failed and a divorce has been finalized, we extend Christ's love and compassion. We walk with, we cry with, we celebrate second chances with, we love. Before we head into the final stretch here this morning, if you're married, and you find yourselves in a rough spot right now, please reach out. Don't do this alone. You got a community of people around you and we'd love to walk through this with you. As a church community, we commit ourselves to fostering an environment where healthy relationships are formed, celebrated, supported, and when necessary, grieved. And in each of our relationships, whether we find ourselves in families, friendships, or in committed relationships such as Christian marriage, we are first and foremost followers of Jesus and therefore ambassadors of the good news of God's reconciling work in Christ. Let's bring good news into all of our relationships. Larry Crabb writes that beneath the surface of everyone's life is an ache that will not go away. It can be ignored, disguised, mislabeled, or submerged by a torrent of activity, but it will not disappear. And for good reason. 
We were designed to enjoy a better world than this. And until that better world comes along, we will groan for what we do not have. When I read that this week, I thought about Adam and his feeling of just utter aloneness. And I imagined his, his soul groaning there in the Garden of Eden. A groan can be an act of hope, inviting God into our experience. And God will respond as he did to Adam. It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Let us pray. Lord, I'm grateful that you acknowledge humanity's need for relationship. That in our relationship with one another, we come closer to reflecting you, Father, Son, and Spirit, God as community. And so you invite us into this. And God, I ask that today and this week and in the months to come, we would grow in our understanding of what it means to truly lean into the relationships in our lives. That we would become and embrace the role of a suitable helper for the people that we are in relationships with. And that we would invite them to be the helpers when we need them in our lives. God, help us to be aware of our need. Help us to acknowledge that need. And help us to honor you in all of our relationships. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. Now, before we officially sign off this morning, I want to call out to all the kids. Uh, if you've snuck out of the room, if maybe you've gone over uh, to work on your own activities, your own kind of Sunday school class during church this morning, I want to call you back and I'm going to invite you to check out some of your friends reciting their memory verses uh, as we kind of leave this morning. Before we get to those little video clips, uh, I'm going to remind you that once again, as we do every Sunday, we're going to be gathering uh, after the service in our neighbors groups. Uh, to have some check-in with one another, see how we're doing, pray for one another, and to discuss this morning's theme. I'd also invite those who are just joining us online and you're not part of a neighbor's group, there'll be a link in the comments. If you click that, I'll let you into our group and you can join in our conversation as well. So enjoy some of Elevation's kids uh, reciting their memory verse that they've been working on over these last few weeks. God bless you this week. Peace to you. <laughs>